welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends, let's do this. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 1. A um, couple of things before we jump into Hebrews. The first is uh, a little update on St. James and the new Awaken Home uh, over yonder. We had our first workday on Saturday. Many of you showed up, so we cleaned walls and scrubbed walls and were prepping for painting. They told me to maybe wear like my, my, the work clothes I, I wore yesterday. I decided not to, and one of them has a, I have a hole in it, and I figured you guys didn't want to see my legs. So I wore pants that covered all of my legs, so um, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, no, it, hey, Wednesdays and Saturdays are sort of our scheduled times. We're going to be there. There are lots, lots to do. So Wednesdays from 3 to 9, uh, Saturdays from 9 to 5, come a- as you can. There is a place to sign up online on the, the website, awakencommunity.com. So that's helpful to us so we know... Uh, how many people are coming, um, and really lots, lots of different um, opportunities. So varied skill level could be uh, can be used, uh, whether you can swing a hammer or not. Uh, if you are coming, either bring food for yourself or bring some money for pizza, and we'll order that. It's going to be a great time. And also, uh, I wanted to let you know we've raised uh, a little over fifty-three thousand dollars of the sixty thousand that we intended. Yeah. So, like, holy cats, you guys have you're amazing, amazing. If you th- if you thought about giving and haven't yet, uh, there's still room to do that. We would be greatly appreciative. There are cards on the table. If you look around, I think we're running a little short because so many of you are participating. We're just running out of cards. So uh, those can go in the black boxes if you uh, want to do that. That would be awesome. So thank you. Um, all right. So last week we started this series on Hebrews. And um, Hebrews, we, uh, just, just a little bit of review and then we'll jump in this morning. Hebrews, if you remember, a very contested book, uh, n- unknown author, uh, unknown time. We don't really know when exactly it was written or who it was written by. So that there's a lot of people that, that ask about that. Luther, our good friend Martin Luther, wanted it out of the canon. Four books he wanted out. Hebrews was one of them. Thankfully, he didn't get his way because Hebrews remains to be sort of a capstone book in the New Testament in terms of theology and what does it mean to know and understand and follow this Jesus. So I'm very excited he didn't get his way. Uh, we, we sort of anchored or landed on two spots last week from the first four verses. And, and the first was just none but Jesus, that the author of Hebrews and really the whole New Testament makes a claim that the work or, or the means by which one becomes reconnected to God is in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's faith and trust in this work uh, on our behalf that connects us to and reconnects us to God. And so it's a very clear, bold claim that it's through Jesus and, and his work on the cross. Uh, And then we talked about this idea of the exact representation of God. Like when we see Jesus, that's what we see, the the exact manifestation, the exact representation of God. And so our image of God, our picture of God is, is very, very important. And what we imagine God to be like shapes us and it transforms us. Uh, Paul says it, it, it transforms us from one degree of glory to another, that we, when we behold the face of Jesus, the image of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And so if we want to know what God is like, the author of Hebrews says it's Jesus. That's where we look. That's where we turn. So that one is just so important in our own um, following of Jesus, to, traditionally called discipleship, like becoming more like Jesus. Very important, that, that particular piece. So 
This morning we're going to look at a passage, uh, uh, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. So I'll ask you to stand and we'll read from God's word and then we will jump in and see if we can't make sense of this. Hebrews 1, starting in verse 5, says this. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and servants flames of fire, and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You, will have, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, and you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to, the, to serve those who will inherit salvation? Chapter 2, we must, pay, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book that is, in some mysterious way, alive. Because you speak through it. Because you choose to pick up the words of these authors who are inspired by you. And you continue again and again and again to make this book a life-giving and transformative experience with you. Uh, and so, God, I pray that today that would be the case. That this passage would be a portal a window in a, uh, into an experience with the divine, with the God of creation, made manifest, made known in the person of Jesus. So Jesus, we invite you to speak to us. Give us eyes to see you and ears to hear. Help us to be present to you uh, who are already here, always present in your good world. We pray in all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> So this is an interesting one. As I was prepping for it, I was like, Whoa, all this talk about angels, I was thinking about bringing out my Frank Peretti you know, books, uh, Piercing the Darkness and all this. Uh, what, what do you say about angels? You know, it's kind of an interesting one. And, um, and at first glance, there's, uh, there's not much going on, right? It's, it's about angels. And it's, and it's pretty clear that the author is not too keen on them, uh, if, you, if you're paying attention. But I, if we dig a little bit, I think we begin to realize that there is some things being said about God and about Jesus and the nature of God that, that become very important. So I want to dig a little bit this morning. And I want to do that in, in, uh, in a particular way. I want to ask a couple of questions. There are seven different Old Testament passages quoted 
uh, passages quoted in this short reading that we just read. Seven different times, seven different passages, the author quotes them. And I think it's easy to sort of lose the, the overall narrative or the overall argument that the author's making. So I might not get into the exact detail of all of the different passages that are quoted, but I want these three questions to sort of frame and help us see what the author's trying to say big picture so we don't sort of get lost. And I do rabbit trails quite well, and I'm going to try to not do that. So I've given myself three questions, all right? Um, so the first one, what's with all the angels? Dude, what's with the angels, right? Uh, if you remember last week, the passage that we ended with, which was verse 4, says, So he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So the, the, the author's jumping off from that in verse 5 where we started, and, and it's a conversation about angels. Now, uh, and he opens in verse 5 with a bit of a rhetorical question. Now, of course, it's playoff week. If you're not uh, a football fan, we got big games happening today. Any Packer fans in the house? Okay, yeah, all right, welcome. Nice. (laughs) We had a couple people from uh, from the Pacific Northwest here, Seattle, won last night. So, and, and friends, it's the college football national championship tomorrow night, so go Ducks. Um, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of trash talking almost in the opening passage here. The author says like, which one of the angels did to which, to which one of the angels did, did God say, you are my son? Or to which one did he say, I will be your father and he will be my son? Like Luke, I am your father. Like which one? None, essentially. It's a rhetorical question, right? He's saying, saying none of the angels did God say this to, but he did say it to somebody else. So there's a little bit of a trash talk kind of, uh, you know, hint here. I'm reading into it a little bit, right? But why all the angels? I want to suggest that they're a means to an end. The angels are a means to an end. Remember that what's being discussed here, what's a, a concern to the writer of Hebrews is revelation. And we're not talking about John's book at the end of the Bible, We're talking about how God has made God's self known to humanity. So there are lots of different ways in the past from our forefathers, if you remember last week, that God has revealed God's self, of which the angels are one of. But the angels are a means to an end. They are not the end in and of themselves. They are not the thing that we worship. They're not the thing at the center. Rather, that's something else. So let's remember the context in which this, this letter is given. It's written to a group of people that used to be Jewish. And, and one could argue that if you follow Jesus, you don't like cease to be Jewish. But religiously, as Jews, the center of religious life was temple, the law, Moses, sacrifices. This is everything that you do as a Jew before Jesus shows up on the scene. And then Jesus, a carpenter's son, shows up, he lives, he dies, he's resurrected from the dead, and in one fell swoop, he redefines what it means to be a part of God's people. If in the Old Testament, to be a part of God's people was to be a part of the, to be circumcised, as it were, to have a circumcision of the heart, to be connected to this covenant family called Israel, Jesus comes along, and now this whole thing is redefined in and through trust and faith in the work of, the resurrection of, Jesus. And so in one sense, this is a group of people to whom the author's writing who used to be Jewish, who have said Jesus is the Messiah. He's the vindicated uh, uh, servant of God. He's the world's true Lord. And there were probably many who made that, made that crossover. Ironically enough, Hebrew literally means one who crosses over. So there were plenty of people who did that and who were saying, yes, Jesus is Lord. 
But there had to be, I guarantee you, I'd, bet, I'd take it to the bank, I'd bet money on it, that there were people who were like, ah, I'm not sure. Or they were trying to work out how do we integrate all, all of these years of history of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and temple and sacrifice and all the things that we do as Jewish people, how do we integrate that with this new life? And of course, if you read the book of Acts, you find that that is no small task, right? Acts 15 is a whole chapter about that debate. And so there, there had to be people who were sort of on the fence. And if, if our families now were anything like their families then, I guarantee you there was a mother-in-law or a mother who sat down at, at, at meal and who's like, yeah, today we went to temple. Where were you? <laughs> You've ever had that one, right? You know, just those kind of a little passive-aggressive Minnesota there. You know, like, oh, oh yeah, you know, what, you know, to be a good Jew means to da-da-da-da. We were there, but where were you? Or a father who's like, yeah, son, uh, you know, we uh, went down to, I don't know, where, you weren't there. <laughs> I, so there, there must have been people, there must have been those kinds of conversations. And so this writer is writing to people who are trying to navigate that space and what it means to be a good Jew who goes to temple and who follows the law. And BT dubs, this is maybe the most important part of this, the law of God, Torah, was given to who? A thousand Torah points. Not Charlton Heston, but Moses. Thank you very much. The law is given to Moses by God. And according to Jewish history and theological thought, the law was given to Moses by God through, any guesses? Angels. Boom. You were here first hour. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Christian's like, angels. By the angels. So if you read uh, uh, texts that are, that are surrounding and, and sort of, so Mishnah and, and the, the, the Midrash, all the different Jewish texts, you find very quickly that they believed that Torah was given by God through Moses or to Moses through the angels. And so why would the author of Hebrews start out and say Jesus is above the angels? And why would the author say that to whom of the angels did God say, you will be, uh, I will be his father and he will be my son? To whom did he say, you are my son? None. So why all the angel talk? I think that there's a very real possibility that people in this context, in the first century when this was written, that they would miss the point, which of course we never do where we mistake a means for an end. Or we mistake something about this. I I think sometimes we do this with salvation, especially as evangelical Protestant people or the tradition from which we come as covenanters. The whole idea of salvation, when we talk about, hey, what is salvation really about? Or what's the point of salvation? Well, it's the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' death and resurrection is primarily about the forgiveness of sin. And I want to suggest that that's, it's not that that isn't true, but when we reduce it to that, we miss the larger aim of what the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is all about. And in some ways, we sort of highlight this part of it while missing the whole point of it. The whole point of it, one author, N.T. writes says this, which I completely agree with. Indeed, God's aim of forgiving the sins of his people, about which this letter has much to say, is all a part of a larger aim to create a world in which evil has at last no place. 
The cross and resurrection of Jesus is certainly connected to or has to do with the forgiveness of sin, but it is a larger conversation about God restoring the world and creating a world or, or bringing a world back to a place in which evil has at last no place. It's about justice. It's about righteousness. That's why the author quotes Psalm 45 in verses 8 and 9. He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. The scepter, the thing you hold, is a scepter of justice in your kingdom. He's saying something about what the resurrection and the anointed king of Israel, Jesus, the Messiah, has done in resurrection, or what God has done in and through Jesus. So why all the talk about angels? Because there is a, they, the angels, were a part of a list of things and people that revealed God to the world, but not the end or not the final or not. If, if See it as a ramp up to the final, which is Jesus. And so don't miss that this isn't the end, but this is the point. Don't put your faith in this or this or this law or temple or Moses or the prophets. They were a part of it, and they revealed part of who God is, but it's as if they were a shadow of what was to come. I think somebody may have said that, a guy named Paul in the New Testament. That these are a shadow of what's to come. Don't mistake the shadow for the real thing. Because when you do, you miss it. So why all the angels? They're a part of it, but they're not the thing. They're not where it's headed. How about a second question? Why all the scripture? Like I said, this guy quotes, or this gal, depending on who wrote it, uh, quotes seven different Old Testament passages. Psalm 2, 2 Samuel 7, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 104, Psalm 45, Psalm 102, Psalm 110. Why? This is an all play. and Anybody can shout out an answer here. Why, if you're the author of this book, why would you use so much scripture to prove your point? Say it again. They're Jewish people he's writing to, right? Credibility. Credibility. What else? Loopholes, okay? So he's filling loopholes or he's trying to... Yeah, okay. Pastors do this all the time. (laughs) Use scripture. That's what somebody in the first hour said. What else? Why Why would you do that? Okay. Well, yeah, well said, yes. I would crouch it in maybe this kind of language. He's speaking a language that, not anyone's wrong, but just adding to, he's speaking a language in which they can understand. I mean, who understands that, right? (laughs) Perfect. Well said. 20 bucks later. But if you're going to communicate with a small child, what do you do, right? You get, kind of get down on one knee and you kind of, oh, hey, right? You sort of start speaking in different tones and use different words that you wouldn't normally use so that they can understand what you're saying. If you're the author of this book, not a trick question, what's the title? Who's it written to? The Hebrews. And if you're a Jew in the first century, this is your language. This is what you know. Many of these kids had the whole Torah memorized, First five books of the Bibles, memory. So it is like, it's, it's literally the language you speak. It's, it's the center of religious life. So if you're, a, you're trying to convince somebody of an argument that maybe challenges presuppositions that a community holds, you, you, and, and it's in here, you're like, hey, your own scriptures say 
that the angels were a means to it, that they're not the point. That, but that all through the scriptures it says, that's why he's quoting Psalm. Who said, when did God say, you are my son to the angels, and today I've become your father? Never, because he said that about the Messiah, about Jesus. When did God say, I will be his father, and he will be my son to the angels? Never, he said that about Jesus. So the whole point is, he's using a language that they understand. Now, let's fast forward this, let's bring it into 2015. So what, right? I want to suggest that one of the challenges and invitations of the people of God in 2015 is to learn a language which is spoken in our culture of the, with, uh, by and from the people we live with and live around. Part of our job is to learn how to tell this story in a language people understand. I think so... How many of you have ever turned on religious TV on a Sunday morning before? Have you ever done that? And how many of you have just said... What? Who says that? Who talks that way? And the Lord said, and uh, let us pray. I, I, who does that? Right? I mean, I don't. Next time you go to the office, give it a go and see how. See, how, like nobody does that. I think, and and this is one of my when, when when I've envisioned a new community and planting a new church, starting a new church. One of my hopes, my dreams, my passions was that this group of people would begin to learn how to tell the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, without losing any of the truth in a new way. One author wrote a book called The Church on the Other Side. And if you imagine a transition, a a point in which, like four or five hundred years of history, and then there's this point, this this. Um, modern era, postmodern era, call it whatever you want, but there's a transition that's happened in our culture. And his whole book is about the church has lived here for the last 500 years, and there's a particular language that the good news of the gospel has been couched in. And if we're going to be the church on the other side, then one of the things we need is a new language, a way to tell the story where people don't go, who talks like that anymore? Or what do you even mean when you say the king, the Lord of lords? What is that? I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to learn and and pay attention to the way in which you tell the story if you're a follower of Jesus. Are the words that you're using actually helping? Listen, sin is really, really important. It's it's an idea. There's something true about it. And without it, you can't make sense of the good news of Jesus. But if you listen to podcasts and you go back four years of teaching at Awaken, you very rarely hear me say that word. And some of you may say, well, you never talk about sin, Micah. What's your problem? Because we're trying to figure out a new way to tell the story that doesn't add offense or add baggage to something that's already got baggage. Is there a fresh new way that we can talk about sin or this idea? That's what I'm actually doing. And I want to invite you all as you go to your workplaces and you go to your family and, and you're at a table and, some, and there's a, the door is ajar. Do you remember those cars that used to say that when the door would open? The door is ajar. When the door is ajar at your next family gathering and for whatever reason, you sense a moment of invitation to talk about your spiritual life or your commitment to Jesus. This stuff matters. Choosing a language that can actually communicate the ideas that you hold so dearly it, it matters. That's why it mattered to them, and I would suggest that's why it matters to us today. Last question. What's the warning? 
this is an argument from lesser to greater. So essentially the author is saying, if this is true here, then how much more of an impact or how much more is it, does it matter that it's true here? If this is true here and these are the implications and, and it's true here, what are... So he says in verse 2 of chapter 2, for since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? If the whole point that he's trying to drive is Jesus, how great a disaster, how great, uh, how grave the consequence if we miss. So what's the warning? I would say, don't miss it. Don't miss what's right in front of you. I, I went to a, uh, went to this little conference where, you know, pastors gum, come and, they, and uh, this, this one particular author that I, I had read a lot of and really made a, a, a huge impact in my sort of journey theologically as an adult was a guy named Brian McLaren. And so Brian McLaren is invited to this like little, this little gathering of pastors and I'm like, you know when you, you sort of get starstruck or you find somebody that you, you appreciate or that you really value or whatever and then like you're in the same room with them and everyone's kind of like, there he is right over there. He's more bald than I thought he would be. <laughs> so I'm at breakfast. I come one morning. I come early and I get in line for breakfast and who walks up behind me but a one, Brian McLaren, everybody. So he's standing right behind me, you know, and I'm just sweating. I'm just like, oh my gosh, don't say something stupid. Don't say something stupid. And so I, I know that he's a fisherman and I'm like, okay, that I can do, right? So we just start talking about fishing and smallmouth fishing and all this and that. And then I say, you get 80% of what you ask for. So I'm like, hey, you want to have breakfast? He's like, sure, I'll join you for breakfast. <laughs> so he sits down, and unfortunately, there was some, the whole time, there was this other guy who was also right behind him, and he's like, oh, can I join you for breakfast? And I'm like, no, you can't. This is my breakfast. <laughs> and the whole time, he's just, and I'm sitting there, this is me completely judging him. He's asking the dumbest questions, and I'm like, he doesn't want to answer that. Stop talking so much. So I'm sitting there, but what if, imagine if I sit down and I'm like, oh my gosh, Baker Publishing, I love Baker Publishing. They are the group of people who've taken Brian McLaren's ideas and put them in book form, and then they, they write them, they publish them, they make the things actually on paper. And the distributing companies that get those books to the bookstores where I buy those books about Brian McLaren's ideas, I love those guys, they are awesome. Thank you, Baker Publishing. And Brian McLaren was sitting right in front of me. Like, how dumb would that be? How silly would I look if the guy who wrote the books is sitting right across the table from me? Now, of course, you all, this is obvious, right? This is exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing. The real deal, the person, the revelation of God in flesh has come in the person. It's not an idea. It's not written as a law, a bunch of things you have to follow. It is a person and his name is Jesus. If you want to know God, he's here. He just died and was resurrected from the dead. Do you remember that? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. How grave the consequence would be if you missed the thing that was right there. How sad, how disappointing, how, ah, uh, don't miss it.
he says. And so I would say to you this morning, maybe a couple of questions as we close. Is there any way in which we have missed the point where something that maybe is a part of the process or part of spiritual life has become maybe more highly elevated or we've put too much faith in fill in the blank. I think for many, a lot of times it's church. I think for a lot of us, especially those who, of us who grew up in conservative fundamental backgrounds, it's this. This isn't the point. Let me say that on record louder and again. The Bible is not the point. Jesus is. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the center. He's the well that, every, that, that those who are thirsty and those who need life come to to drink, who will never thirst again. This is the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus, the life, death, resurrection of the enfleshed God, that's the point. And it's come. It's happened. It's, and so here's the question for you to consider. Christmas just happened. We celebrate the light of God that's come into the world. Either it's true or it's not. Either Jesus is who he said he was or he, he wasn't. And there's some other answer to all of the questions that we ask about life and about death and our, our finitude and whether or not there's more after this. Either Jesus is the answer to that or he's not. And the author of Hebrews is saying he is. And this community is centered around the belief and the trust that that's true. And this is what it means to, this is the good news. And so I, I guess I just want to pause this morning and give us space to think about, this is a, a text about angels. What does it have to do with us? Well, in the same way, I think we miss sometimes the point or we put too much faith in something. So maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's your abilities. Maybe it's like, you know what, I'm okay. I'm doing, I'm, I'm okay. I got this. And we say that in all kinds of subtle ways. Or we worship the creation around us. That's important, and it's, and it's connected to, and it's part of creation or God and, and God's revelation to us, but it's not the point. It's not Jesus. So I, I want to close, and I'm going to ask John, Mark, and the crew to come. We're going to sing one song together as we close. And this song, uh, for me, I, I love the movements of it. The first verse, the moment it opens, I always think, oh my gosh, yes, that's me. And then there seems to be this invitation and then this declaration of, yeah, yes, yes, we will sing, alleluia. And so I want to just invite you uh, as we close this morning. I'm going to offer a word of prayer and give you just some space to think about that and then we'll sing. And so either just let it wash over you, hear the words, maybe it wells up inside of you and you need to sing it out invite you to do what you need to do. So pray with me. God, is we've come today, and here we are, all of us. And as much of us as we're willing to own and hold and be present to, uh, we give to you. And so, God, as we think about these things and wonder about this person of Jesus and 
For some, we were wondering, is it true? Was this guy who he said he was? Was he God in human form? Was he the gift of the divine to offer a way back home? Was he the one who took all of our shame and all of our mistakes and all of our brokenness on himself and put death in its grave? Was he that guy? And so here we are. Speak to us. Would you stand as we close? Sometimes I imagine in the beginning, God is like a musician who sort of, as God is creating, there's this tempo and rhythm that begins to be heard and this melody that all of creation is singing along to. And for whatever reason, we lost that. And Jesus comes up out of the grave like a conductor, you know, when they they tap the thing and then it's like, this is what it sounds like. Can you hear that? Can you feel that? Join me. Like, join it. Bring your voice, bring your gift, bring your life, and start to hear it and feel it and sing it out. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to do. Can you hear the rhythm, the melody, the tune of the kingdom of God, which has become real and inaugurated in Jesus? Join it. And so I say to you this morning, that's what this community is about. That's, your, that's the invitation. Whatever that looks like in your life, as a realtor, as a mother, as a dentist, as a lawyer, the, a continuation, a moving towards hearing the rhythm of God's movement, God's melody in the world, and joining your life to it. That's the good news. That's for you. It's free. It's grace, and it's peace. Yeah? get him. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.